This morning, um, I'm going to share a little bit of, of a story from when I was a kid. Um, this may age me or date me a little bit. The band Everclear had a song that I really resonated with as a child, um, child, teenager. Um, it had the lyrics that said, I hate those people who love to tell you that money is the root of all that kills. They have never been poor. They have never had the joy of a welfare Christmas. I grew up really poor. Um, I grew up in a place that was flea infested to the point that I was asked constantly if I had chicken pox. Um, project apartments surrounded by drugs and alcohol and neglected kids that were just like me. Learning how to roll a joint before I could ride a bike without training wheels because that was more valuable in my setting. I didn't know what I would eat. Sometimes it was leftover food from the small restaurant my mom worked at. But sometimes it was leftover food bank box items. If I was lucky, a friend would invite me over for some kind of freezer dinner that they had lying around. When I was about eight years old, every Christmas we would stand in line to get a box for Christmas dinner uh, full of you know all the processed things that you could think of. They'd have a few gifts for the younger kids, um, generally, that were there. And this particular Christmas, they had a few jewelry boxes that a local older man made for poor kids. When you're eight, a cedar jewelry box doesn't scream lucky, but I did know that that was likely the nicest gift that I would get that year. It definitely wasn't a Walkman. But there was never a moment as a child that I can't think of my mom or my, my siblings being stressed out about money. Culture and society teach us that money is happiness. Advertising, advertisers are paid millions of dollars to tap into the psychology of how to teach you that you don't have enough. This becomes a chase for happiness. It becomes a distraction. In 2021, uh, CreditWise survey came out that said that 73% of Americans rank finances as the number one stressor in their lives. It's almost 75% of people that think that money is the biggest problem that they have. See, after my childhood, I vowed that I was going to have good credit. I remember my mom only ever being able to get a JCPenney credit card because her credit was so terrible that no one else would lend to her. I vowed that I was going to go to college. I was going to get a good paying job, like whatever it took 
My kids were never going to feel this way. And although that is not exactly how my life went, it definitely was a different path than, than the one that I had as a kid. You see, there's a reason that the devil tried to tempt Jesus with wealth. I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to get into a lot of different scripture (laughs) and take you on a bit of a journey this morning. Jesus, thank you for this morning. God, you, you know exactly where I'm at. You know that I have little to offer. So Jesus, I just ask that you would take it and you would use it however you intend to touch hearts and minds of people today. Jesus, thank you for your grace and your mercy. Thank you, God, that you are more than we could ever imagine. Amen. In Matthew 4, verses 8 through 10, we see the temptation of Jesus. It's the second temptation where it says, Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All of this I will give to you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. See, Everclear and the rest of our society leave out a key word when they use the phrase that money is the root of all that kills. In 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 10, it follows a passage on false teaching and people being robbed of truth and believed that godliness is a means to financial gain. And it says, but godliness with, with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from their faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. And Luke 16, 13 says, no one can have two masters. You can't serve both God and money. Two wills with two different objectives cannot both get what they want. Jesus says in in Mark 4, 19, in the parable of the sower, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. The deceitfulness of wealth and the desire for other things choke out the truth of Jesus. Thomas Keating says that happiness is intimacy with God. Happiness is intimacy with God. 
the experience of God's loving presence. Without that experience, nothing else quite works. With it, almost everything works. See, it turns out that money isn't just about money or our desire for it. It's the need to fulfill something within us. It's really the chase of an experience. It's this chase for happiness. The problem is that when we chase our own happiness, we leave the present moment. We're looking not where we currently are. And the present moment is the actual only place that we can find happiness. It's the only place it can actually be found. We chase happiness in search of this experience that will satisfy us. And we have to wrestle with what is not true about that. In his book, The Human Condition, Thomas Keating says, the false self is looking for fame, power, wealth, and prestige. The unconscious is very powerful until the divine light of the Holy Spirit penetrates it to its depths and reveals its dynamics. We have a false self within us. C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity says that your real, your real new self, which is Christ's and also yours and yours just because it is his, will not come as long as you are looking for it. It will come when you are looking for him. One of my favorite thinkers, Ruth Haley Barton, calls it a temptation to invest in, what's, in that which does not satisfy. We have this temptation within us to invest in things that ultimately we know will not bring us satisfaction. If we truly think about it, all the money in the world we clearly see does not solve the world's problems. Rich people still struggle with things in life, just the same as poor people. It just looks a little different. Isaiah 55, I want to encourage you to read it before Easter and just sit and dwell in it. I'm going to read pieces of it this morning, but Isaiah 55 verses 1 and 2 and then verses 8 and 9. Come to the waters and you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money, without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight in the richest affair. Picks up in verse eight, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. 
As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. It's not just about money. James wasn't after that. This first chapter of James is giving this overarching picture of the whole entire book. And he's doing this like summary synopsis of it. And he's touching on so many pieces. And he's, he, it parallels the Sermon on the Mount. And, and as we're looking at it, there's so much in there to unpack. And he doesn't hold back. James is a book that I've always appreciated because if you need a gut punch, if you need a heart check, man, go to the book of James and there is no place in your life that will be left unturned. This verse isn't just about money. It's about where you invest. Your time, your money, your thoughts, your indulging, numbing behaviors. The illusion of satisfaction leaves you more hungry, more thirsty, and more tired. Why do we keep scrolling when we're tired? We have these apps on our phones or these mindless games, and we're exhausted at the end of the day. And we do that. Why do we do that? Sometimes it's a coffee addiction. Sometimes it's a sugar or a food addiction. There are all kinds of things that we turn to, to figure out what will satisfy us or to try and satisfy what we're looking for. And I'm not saying that you should never have coffee. I'm not saying that you should never have dessert. I'm not saying that you shouldn't own a phone. Although I do think the world might be a little better place lately if there were less phones in hands. I'm not saying that you shouldn't do anything enjoyable other than read your Bible and pray. Not that that would be the worst thing in the world either. But escaping and taking a break from something is different than numbing out to it. When it changes to not, not resting, not just taking a break and resting, but in numbing behavior. Is what you're doing to take a break or to, to find life is it, is it life-giving? Is it, sustain, is it sustaining to you in your body? We all have our own vices, but the false self is something that can hide those vices and we justify them within our false self. Jesus says in Luke 9, 23 and 24, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Remember, when we chase our own happiness, we leave the present moment. And that's the only place that our happiness can actually be found. 
Keating goes on to say later in his book, The Human Condition, that the contemplative journey, because it involves the purification of the unconscious, these, these things that we do without even thinking about it. Often we pick up our phones or we do things without even thinking about it. Your iPhone, if you have an iPhone, actually tells you how many times you've picked it up in a day. It's horrifying if you actually look at your stats. It's awful. But because it involves this purification of the unconscious, it's not a magic carpet to bliss. It's an exercise of, of letting go of the false self. It's a humbling process because it's the only self we know. God approaches us from many different perspectives, illness, misfortune, bankruptcy, divorce proceedings, rejection, inner trials. God has not promised to take away our trials, but to help us change our attitudes toward them. That is what holiness really is. In this life, happiness is rooted in our basic attitude toward reality. Sometimes a sense of failure is a great means to true humility, which is what God most looks for in us. I realize that this is not the language of success, but we have oversubscribed to that language as a culture. We need to hear about the inner freedom that comes through participation in the suffering of Christ, the symbol of God's love for everyone on earth. In James 1, 2 through 4 that you've already experienced, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. We chase happiness in search of experience. And as we become aware of our false self, we have to confront and be humbled by what our, our root issues are. And then we're in a place that we can embrace our own poverty to discover our treasure. Embracing our poverty is something that isn't easy to do. And it's impossible to do if you're not aware of the false self and being confronted with what is, what is not true that you're leaning into. Where you're finding your satisfaction. Henry Nouwen says, how can we embrace poverty as a way to God when everyone around, around us wants us to become rich? Poverty is many forms. We have, we have to ask ourselves, what is my poverty? Is it a lack of money, a lack of emotional stability, a lack of a loving partner, lack of security, lack of safety, a lack of self-confidence? Each human being has a place of poverty. That's the place where God wants to dwell. How blessed are the poor, Jesus says in Matthew 5, 3. This means that our blessing is hidden in our poverty. 
I know a lot of people that think that are that are single that think that marriage will fulfill them. That will be what they find their happiness in. And I I, I have to I like I laugh sometimes when my single friends will say that. Like, oh, when I get married, like it'll be so much different. I'll have, you know, such a different perspective. And and I'm like, oh, okay. Like there are a lot of things that change when you get married. And and yes, your perspective is one of them. But it is a whole new version of dying to yourself, which is not necessarily what people have in mind on their wedding day when they're full of bliss and happiness. It can be hard. And it will confront you with the most ugly parts of yourself. I once heard um, a mentor of mine say that marriage is like a full-length mirror. It, it reflects back to you all of, all of the things you don't like about yourself. <laughs> One of my places of poverty is that I fall into this trap of feeling and believing that I am unlovable. That is part of my story. It roots from abandonment. It roots from when my parent, my mom left, when my dad wasn't around. It roots from people in my life that said that they would always be there for me disappearing when things get hard. But it also rears its ugly head in relationships that were not intended to have that lie. It rears its head in my, in my marriage. It rears its head in my friendships where I believe I start to believe on my worst days that I, I am a failure. I'm not worth sticking around for. That my friends don't actually like me. That I am unlovable. I'm too difficult to deal with. In this Lenten season, we think about the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus in church, we forget that we are not the ones that were responsible to roll that stone away from the tomb. Jesus did. He is the one that makes the miracles happen. He is the one that can take away death and hurt and meet us in our place of poverty and make it something miraculous. Henry Nouwen says that we are so inclined to cover up our poverty and ignore it that we often miss the opportunity to discover God who dwells in it. Let's dare to see our poverty as the land where our treasure is hidden. I love that. Are you willing to dare? Are you willing to Dare to see your poverty. 
so that then you can see where your treasure is hidden. If I cover my place of poverty rather than allow God to dwell there, I'll never fully discover the treasure that God has for me. When we chase our own happiness, again, we leave the present moment, which is the only place that happiness and real intimacy with God can actually be found. Psalm 63, you God are my God, earnestly I seek you, I thirst for you, my whole being longs for you. In a dry and parched land where there is no water, I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory because your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing, my lips, my mouth will praise you. Man. What a cry from the heart. How often have we felt like that? Where we are just exhausted and desperate for God to come and meet us. And we have to remind ourselves of the goodness of God. We have to remind ourselves that we have seen him. That his love is better than life. And that in him, we will be fully satisfied. One of my favorite songs is called the, uh, the desert song. <laughs> um, and it says, all of my life in every season, you are still God. I have a reason to sing. I have a reason to worship. Because no matter what our life looks like, as messy and ugly and just hopeless as it gets, we have to remember who God is. We have to remember that our chase for all the things to fulfill us mean nothing if we forget who God is. In every season, he is still God. So we then have a reason to sing and worship. If you are feeling hopeless, if you are feeling like your false self has taken control of you, if you are feeling like you are trying to satisfy something within you, turn on some worship and just sing. Just sing. Gilbert Chesterton says, that is, a, that is a name, by the way. Gilbert Chesterton says that Jesus promised his disciples three things. To be completely fearless. To be absurdly happy. And to be in constant trouble. Mm -hmm. 
We have to be completely surrendered, allowing him to lead us to be fully satisfied in him. If we depend on ourselves, we will just be left frustrated and disappointed. When I am stressed out, when I am tired, I go into full-on survival mode where I shut down and I shut everyone around me out. Some of my best friends know that when I am the quietest is when they need to pursue me the hardest. Because Jesus did promise that if we follow him, we can be completely fearless. We have nothing to fear. We can go in boldness and ask and do for things that are the world cannot make sense of. He can heal things that are broken. Within us, spiritually, physically, mentally, deep in your soul things that are broken, he can heal. And we can be fearless. And I don't know about you, but I would love to be absurdly happy. If we can find satisfaction in Jesus, true satisfaction, man, that would be absurdly happy. We'd have nothing to worry about. Nothing. And how happy would it make you to have no worries? And Jesus promised constant trouble, which I love that. Jesus caused a bit of trouble in his day. As you read the Gospels and see how he responded to people, it was loving and gracious and truthful. But man, he was in constant trouble with people. It was rubbing people the wrong way all the time. People had to wrestle with what he was saying. And I'm okay with that kind of trouble. That kind of holy trouble is a trouble that you can only live when you're completely fearless. When you have a happiness that you don't, you're not ruffled by other people or what they think. Matthew 6.34 says, Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble, trouble of its own. This is a well-known verse, but I think that we forget it often. We hear the don't worry about tomorrow. And tomorrow. I love that, the little bit of humor in this. For tomorrow, we'll worry about itself. It's like, what? But it's, it's true. Like, why are we worrying about the things that are not happened yet when we serve a God that can make miracles happen? See, God offers a freedom in the stillness of his presence, a freedom from fear, 
Your current circumstances do not surprise him. My week this week did not surprise him. Crazy work weeks and family issues and grief and sickness and disappointment and rejection. None of that in my week surprised God. My poverty is more this week than I've had um, in a long time. When we chase our own happiness, we leave the present moment, which is the only place happiness in your intimacy with God can be found. This week, I did not do a good job of that. I did not do a good job at staying in the present moment. I had a hard time finding intimacy with God. I had a hard time then finding happiness. I found myself chasing after what Ruth Haley Barton called that which did not satisfy. Some moments, even in my own being, it was some moments it was self-pity. Some moments it was not being aware or even recognizing that my false self was what was actually leading me rather than truth. Thank God for grace. Back to my eight-year-old self in the jewelry box. Over the years, I've sat in moments of being present with the jewelry box gift. It has brought me much happiness at times, reflecting on it. I can open the top and smell it and remember joy. I can remember pain. I can remember anger and frustration. I remember abandonment. I remember resentment, the feeling of injustice and misfortune. But I also remember hope. I remember love from a stranger I will never know. I remember peace and stillness and how much God has cared for me, even in the smallest of details. The jewelry box wasn't poorly crafted. It wasn't just a task to complete. It wasn't a Amazon special. This jewelry box is a work of true craftsmanship. This jewelry box is hand stitched, hand, every little wood seam. And it still smells of fresh cedar like the first time I opened it. Even the hinges at one point were 
actually made of wood. It was wooden dowels, wooden carved hinges. They were beautiful and it broke because I was a child, um, which was then reinforced. But this gift was not something that that man made for these poor girls as a duty. It was a beautiful expression that he wanted these poor little kids, these poor little girls that wouldn't otherwise really have a Christmas to have something beautiful that would last them a lifetime that they could find repeating joy in as they got older, something that they could even hand down to their own children. Your father wants to give you good gifts, but we have to be willing to discover what the treasure is. And we can't do that without embracing our areas of poverty. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes and sit with your hands open. I want you to take a moment. They want you to observe your soul. Sit with your hands open just in silence. Help me to see where I am investing, God. Help me to see where I am investing in in that which does not satisfy. What is my false self standing in the way of? And as you ask that question, we're going to Spend 90 seconds in silence to get in tune with your, your body and your mind. What, what has been distracting you versus what's satisfying? Let the chaos around you settle. All the noise, let it settle. If you haven't been still for a while, 90 seconds is going to feel like a bit of time. But when you feel your mind wandering, I want you to bring it back to asking God, where am I investing in that which does not satisfy
as we move into a time of reflection and communion, continue to carry this stillness with you and ask God to help you discover the land your treasure is hidden, the happiness that can only be found in deep intimacy with him. If that 90 seconds was hard and uncomfortable, I encourage you once a day this week to do it again. Jesus, we thirst for you. Help us to find our complete satisfaction in you and you alone. God, I want to be absurdly happy. Jesus, meet us where we're at right now. Meet us, God, in this very moment, just as we are. Whether we've had good or bad weeks, God, we bring all that we are before your throne, before your feet. And we just ask that you would be with us in this time. Sit with us and speak to us. In Jesus' name.